Hello and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist System. Hey everybody, I'm HF Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And today we are really honored to have uh, Brian Crowell, the chief operating officer for Peterson Inc. on the program. He's also the co-author of the uh, Shingo Prize winning book, Own the Gap. Brian, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you give us just a, a little bit of your background? Tell us, you know, how you got into condition improvement and what are you doing now? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, uh, originally, I was introduced to continuous improvement uh, many years ago when I worked for a company called AutoLeave, and we're an airbag safety supplier. They're the largest airbag safety supplier for airbags, seat belts, sensors, etc. They provide uh, um, automotive components to all the uh, major OEMs, Toyota, Honda, GM, Ford, Volkswagen, uh, etc. And we had a very unique experience in, uh, I don't know how much you know about the uh, airbag industry, but uh, back in the 90s, um, they passed some legislation called Safety Standard 208, which required uh, cars to meet a new safety standard. And the only way that you would meet that standard was if, if you had an airbag. So when I started at AutoLeave, we had 250 employees. And we went from 250 employees to about 12,000 in about four or five years. So wow. we just have this explosive growth, uh, new technology. And uh, by virtue of uh, that opportunity to be in that industry with these just major headwinds of this growth, um, we had uh, a lot of help from folks to figure out how to build uh, airbags uh, from a quality standpoint and uh, deliver those on time. And we were the largest non-Japanese uh, supplier to Toyota. And uh, we had some challenges and some struggles meeting their requirements. And so they actually are awesome about helping you uh, as a supplier and uh, they actually sent a gentleman to Utah. His name was Takahashi Hirata from the uh, Operations Management Consulting Division. And he lived there for three years. And I was fortunate enough to be one of about uh, uh, four um, operations managers that worked with him directly for about uh, three years. And I got time in plants in Japan, a lot of uh, plants in the U.S., and and got some exposure to, you know, the Toyota production system and um, those principles and concepts and how to drive continuous improvement. And, and uh, it was just a really, really great opportunity. And then from there, just had opportunities to be exposed to many great companies and organizations and kind of adopted best practices that I've seen uh, over the years and kind of uh, have integrated those into an operating model that uh, um, in the book, Own the Gap, we call it the Own the Gap Operating Model, which is all about how do you create a culture of continuous improvement and uh, seen some just really significant successes with that in multiple industries, uh, obviously in the automotive industry. I've seen that in aerospace and defense. I worked at a company uh, in, in that space, uh, saw some amazing applications and improvements uh, in healthcare. Uh, Intermountain Healthcare, where I was the uh, Assistant Vice President of Continuous Improvement. Uh, and then obviously I'm a 
I work at a, a, a very complex organization. It's small. It's only 600 people called Peterson Fabrication, but uh, we're a project-based organization that we do projects anywhere from $20 million uh, to $5,000, and I have uh, over 150 projects going on and over um, probably two, 300,000 individual task line items in a project schedule, so challenging environment, but being able to apply these uh, principles in uh, many different environments, so I feel lucky. Brian, that, that's real interesting because um, I live in a small town in, in northeast Mississippi, and growing up, there was a, a company there called Piper Impact, and, and, and it was a stamping. You may be familiar with them. They, uh, they made um, cartridges for the, for the military, and then all of a sudden, about the time you were talking about, they switched over to making canisters for, uh, for airbags, and, and, and I guess that was why with the, with the new regulations that came out. Yeah, I actually flew into Tupelo, Mississippi to help them out as they uh, helped us with our ramp up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, yeah the, it, they're called Metal Impact now. They're they're in New Albany. That's that's where I live and grew up. But um, when it comes to continuous improvement, Jake and I, we we're, we're very early, and I, we say this on every podcast. We're we're both very early in, a, in our How journey. How many years of uh, doing the podcast do we have to do before we can say we're not you know, early? I don't know. That's, that's that's something we'll have to we'll have to figure out. But but when it comes to continuous improvement and we're and we're trying to engage providers, we're trying to engage healthcare providers. A lot of the pushback that we get is that well, you know, that stuff is really for the manufacturing sector. You know, building cars, Toyota, and, and things like that. But but somebody like yourself who has experience in both healthcare and manufacturing. And, and maybe even more experience in manufacturing, how would you answer them and how do you debunk debunk those those myths that that you can't really apply those same type of methods to healthcare? You know, I think one of the things that you answer with is uh, continuous improvement is is really not necessarily a set of mechanical processes. It's more of a cultural based system. And it's all about uh, uh, respect for people and understanding that every single individual through their diverse experiences and knowledge, they have competencies and capabilities that if we can figure out some methodologies or some um, ways to promote them getting engaged, seeing opportunities for improvement, uh, most people are definitely willing to do that. And, and obviously, healthcare providers, um, that's, they're all about what can we do to get better, what can we do to provide better uh, care to our patients. And uh, so I think uh, really, really shifting them from, it's not really the mechanical on, you know, how do you set up a Kanban and how do you do standard work on a line? It's more about how do you create an environment where it becomes clear where opportunities are for improvement are, and then it's natural for team members to collaborate with each other to talk about what can we do to get better. And I think it's human nature, generally. And so when you moved, um, you know, more from, I guess, the more manufacturing uh, into Intermountain and you were starting to work in healthcare, uh, what did you see? I, I know Intermountain, you know, we've, we've had many on the program talk about how you know, they're, they have a great culture of continuous improvement, but what were the, the differences that you were able to see 
uh, what were, I guess, some of the things that were maybe easier to do and what was harder to do? You know, I mean, I think uh, really what I saw at Intermountain Healthcare was similar to what I've seen in in all the organizations that I've been in or with the organizations that I've that I've connected with, and I saw that there was there was really um, maybe not great systems to help people have clarity on what the expectations or standards were so they could see gaps and then actually a formal practice to engage people around those things that they might understand as, as not meeting, meeting the standards. So, um, uh, some, some basic things that I, I, uh, recognized was, you know, for example, safety, um, they had Intermountain had contracted with a company, uh, HPI, uh, very well known. I do a ton of work in the nuclear industry right now, and they adopted safety practices from the nu- nuclear industry. And, uh, you know, it was, a lot of it was about training and so forth, but it really wasn't operationalized. You know, what is happening daily so that you're communicating and you're following up on these principles that they've identified for safety. So one of the things that I've naturally done is, is said, you need to have a huddle. Every single um, level of the organization needs to have a huddle, and then you need to have a tiered escalation process. Um, for example, I was really surprised that there could be a serious safety event, and you guys are very well aware of what those are, uh, within the health system, and uh, no one knew about it from a leadership standpoint until it was maybe published in a report two months later, right? And that was shocking to me. It's like, okay, we just did a wrong site surgery or we had a death occur because of some uh, um, error related to uh, something that we did procedurally seems to me that you want to know what that is immediately and then you want to have a method to say how do we understand what the root cause with that so we can share that and propagate it and then it should be operationalized that that's a repeatable process and so I found that uh, you know very similar to many of the organizations I worked with they had lots of standards and lots of new ideas but they didn't have a framework to operationalize them to make sure that they were communicated and followed up on on a on, on a daily uh, basis. Yeah, we talked about we, we we've mentioned Paul O'Neill on this podcast a whole lot, and and when he was at Alcoa, I right. mean he he wanted, I think it was mandated that that any major safety issue that happened in one of their plants, he had to know about it. I can't remember if it was within 24 or 48 hours. Yeah, that was. Yeah, so so at, at Intermountain, I mean, there's a tiered escalation that we implemented there that goes all the way to the CEO and the executive team every single day. So every single day, based on this tiered escalation standard, the executive leadership team understands if we had a serious safety event. And then we can take action, right? So we had, uh, uh, and because we have the whole huddle structure, whatever the root cause or main lesson was to help prevent that from occurring in the future was communicated in a safety alert through that same huddle system right down across the 23 hospitals and 200 clinics within a few days, right? I think that's really beneficial. 
It, you know, and so you were mentioning, I guess, that, you know, when you came to, to Intermountain and when you came to healthcare, you know, they had, you know, a, a good culture of continuous improvement, but maybe not necessarily the framework um, that was consistent. Um, and so then you left and you, you worked for a consulting agency for a little bit and you wrote a book called Own the Gap. Can you talk a little bit about what the, that book uh, was, was trying to do and, and what it helps with? Yeah, so, so Own the Gap is, is really um, defines a structure to create the environment to develop this culture of continuous improvement. And it has basically four key systems. And I'm sure Dr. Pollard talked about the Intermountain Operating Model and uh, Scott Saxton, I think you talked to him, he talked about that. But it basically says as a framework, the first key system is you need to have what we call strategy deployment. That means it needs to be clear at every level in the organization to each individual, what does it mean for us to be successful, right? And uh, then as you've made that definition, you need to say, how do we make that visual? How do we put it in front of us so we can see if we have a gap, this is where own the gap comes in, between where we want to be and where we are. And then the third key system, that <laughs> this is very uh, simplistic, it says, you know, as we have a gap, we should collaborate with each other to talk about daily improvement. And then the fourth system is we need to follow up and ensure we're sharing lessons learned and that those corrective actions or ideas that have been implemented actually uh, alleviate or, or, or close the gap or return us to green, et cetera. So it's just a, a you know, a basic framework and of those four major key systems, then each of the systems have some specific elements like a huddle. A huddle is a very important framework within that that people can see, again, strategy deployment for their area, what is their goal. And you can see where just maybe an example of where it's operationalized. So as you guys know, the different uh, um, quality measures, we want to make sure that we're reducing UTIs, et cetera. So um, you're probably familiar with Dr. Brent James um, from Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, they started the ATP program, the advanced training program, and uh, they have clinical programs. And, and their whole mission is to develop evidence-based standards, okay? And through their work and also work that's been done throughout uh, healthcare, it was pretty clear that you could reduce some of those infections if we made sure that we, we removed the Foley uh, within 48 hours, okay? So they had a lagging measure that was how many of these infections are we having? And then they had a leading measure was how many patients have Foley's that have exceeded the time uh, standard to ensure that those infections don't have. And so that was talked about every day in those nurses, they could visually see that. And if there was someone that was coming up to exceed that standard, I mean, I think it, it actually removed burden from a physician is they could call him because they had, an, had to have an order to remove those and say, hey, we're getting to this. Okay, yeah, let's get an order. Let's go ahead and do this. So you can see where, you know, this framework has been able to engage people. They see what needs to happen. And then it, that, then it has uh, um, some interaction that they can do to help support it. So it's been operationalized rather than just sending out an email saying do this it's now operationalized to support 
the compliance or the follow through with that uh, specific uh, standard that you put in place. Gotcha. I, I wanted to ask you and talk a little bit about tools versus culture. And, and you know, a lot of us and a lot of us, a lot of organizations, they want the, the best and brightest shiny tool to use for their uh, continuous improvement. But they don't have the culture and, and, and how, you know, how important is the culture? How more important is the culture than the actual tool or the, uh, the method that you're using to improve? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, they are symbiotic, meaning that you do need to have a framework to promote the culture. And then the, the culture actually supports the framework. So it's a little bit to, difficult to separate them. Um, and that's really kind of the emphasis that I've had on developing these operating models is that it's a model that's supportive of the culture. And as it's supporting, they, they, they do build on each other. But I think some key things, you guys are, are sound like you uh, uh, work to the shingle principles and so forth. Culturally, none of this stuff works unless you have the fundamental belief that people want to do good that they're intelligent and that they have significant ideas for improvement. So just to give you an idea, when I was at AutoLeave, I was the plant manager of the largest airbag facility uh, in the world. We had about 2,000 employees. And um, the, uh, after about four years, we were averaging about 80 ideas implemented per person for the year. Okay, so that means that each individual was almost doing two, implementing, this wasn't suggested, they were implementing two ideas every week. And people are like, well, how do you do that? Are you offering money for it? So do you pay people for ideas, right? People are like, yeah, we put them in a raffle, we pay them for ideas, or we do this thing. It comes down to this. It's this simple. Because you got to have this belief in the respect of people, and this is where the culture really comes in. If you say, we believe you have good ideas, if you ask them what ideas they have on a daily basis, if you have a repeatable mechanism to make sure there's follow-up on their idea, and you say, thank you, we're going to share your idea, that's all you need to do to get ideas. You don't have to pay people. You don't have to do this because this culture stems from leadership has to inherently believe that people are good and they're intelligent and they want to be part of the team and contribute. Sure. I'm a surgeon and and by nature, I am, I'm very impatient. You know, I, I want, I want results and I want them tomorrow. Right. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of being patient uh, in your, in your continuous improvement journey. I, I, I heard, you know, somebody asked Jeffrey Liker, you know, a, a plant or a company that's wanting to implement lean, you know, what kind of time frame? And, and he, he said that maybe in three years, a company may could be a novice at, at, at continuous improvement. Talk to us a little bit about that. So I, I, I actually have a little bit different opinion on that, okay? And it kind of stems okay. back to your cultural question that you asked. 
So um, if I believe the emphasis of these continuous improvement processes is to engage people, how quickly can you start seeing people being engaged, right? So let me give you an example. Um, at Intermountain Healthcare, uh, Tim Pearson, who you have talked to Tim Pearson, he was the regional vice president at uh, the North Region for Intermountain Healthcare. And, and additionally, he was an early adopter of some of these principles for continuous improvement. And uh, he was asked by um, the COO at the time to become the vice president of continuous improvement coupled with his, his regional vice president roles. And so he went and he was doing some really nice things. Uh, he then reached out and recruited me away from uh, the company that I was working with. And uh, we put together a plan. And within one, one and a half years, we had over 3,800 teams identified with huddle boards. We had a tiered escalation process that went all the way through the organization. And we, were, we captured over 40,000 ideas. Wow. So the question happens, how long does it take? It depends what you look at. If you want a consultant come through and say, hey, you're doing everything perfect here, there, there. But is that really the intent? Because my experience in healthcare was uh, it's a very dynamic environment and uh, require, you know, there's always new practices out there. There's always new rules and procedures and everything else. And so um, things are going to be changing all the time. We need to be flexible. So the reality is you can get a culture in a very short period of time. And these models that have been developed, like the Intermountain Operating Model, I call them scalable and fractal. That means you don't have to implement the entire model perfectly, right? You don't have to have a tiered escalation that goes all the way to the CEO. You can start it with your practice team, right? You can huddle after a surgery and you can say, how did everything go? Does anybody have any ideas? Oh, you've got one. That's a great idea. Let's see if we can implement that next time. You just developed in a very short period of time a culture that is going to support improvement. So from an impatient standpoint, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really a situation that let's not overcomplicate it. Let's really understand what we're trying to do. And you can do it fairly quickly. Sure. Let's switch gears a little bit. So you mentioned that at Peterson Inc. that y'all are a project-based organization. You do anywhere from you know, projects that are $5,000 to in the millions. Um, one of the criticisms in, in that we've gotten from continuous improvement in healthcare is, is why it doesn't work, is that every patient is different. Um, and you, it's hard to standardize when your product is changing every day. Um, or every time you see a new patient, it's a different product, essentially. Can you tell us about, you know, how, how can y'all use continuous improvement and standard work when you're working on a different project that, that could be completely different one day to the next? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, coming into the, the organization I'm in now, I heard that exact statement many, many times. 
we're not serial production. We're not doing the same part over and over. Every project we're doing is new. It's a one-off. It's got huge variety, right? So, um, and that's, again, uh, in healthcare, as, as like being a project-based organization where you're doing a lot of unique design and development and uh, fabrication, um, there are still processes that need to be followed. There's processes related to communication, standards of communication, right? Um, uh, there's there's process. So so there's still the process focus on how are we going to move through our estimating process? How are we going to make sure we can capture this job and develop a bill of materials? And how are we going to do? So we still have those standards, and then you couple those with the reality of this organization and the reality of healthcare, it's even more important to have this framework because of the variety and the many, many changes that happen all the time. So the question is, do you have a framework and a system that will identify if you have abnormal conditions as soon as possible so that you can get collaboration, so you can be flexible enough to manage it, right? So the Foley example I gave earlier is there's standards that have been developed. Is it the exact same for every patient? No, but the standard can help improve the quality of care for a good percentages of patients. And you take it with that. Obviously, age caps is a big thing that they work on in, uh, in quality, and we know that it's important to narrate care. That's a standard, right? It helps the patient. Um, is every patient the same? Does it work exactly the same for every patient? No, but it's still a good standard that needs to be applied and it can help the patient experience and, and, uh, and help with those, those requirements. So I think in healthcare, it's very similar to the organization I'm in now, which when I promoted these type of systems, which basically follow this, the own the gap model, I conveyed that look at the variety look at all the challenges. It's even more important for us to have this framework to quickly identify if we have gaps and collaborate with each other to develop this culture of how can we, we team together and drive improvement. You know, in, in healthcare, when it comes to continuous improvement, a lot of times the, the physician or the provider is thought of sort of as an aside. I mean, we come up with these plans and then we just say, ah, we'll, we'll just we'll just loop the physicians in, you know, at the at the end. And you know how that you know what happens. I mean, it, it gets blown up. And, and, and what are some of the strategies that you recommend to engage the providers to, to get them involved, you know, on the ground floor? I, I think, uh, you know, clearly it took me about. Uh, a week working in healthcare to recognize the fact that, uh, you know, I need to strategically think about how do we make sure that we are partnering with the providers in the organization. And uh, I think one of the things that you need to do right off the get-go is say, we're going to make sure that as we develop these, these teams to communicate and socialize these new systems, that it's going to be inclusive of providers. What I found is we had all these different regions and all these different hospitals, and um, I didn't come in and say, 
we're going to set up a whole new continuous improvement organization. We're going to hire all these people from industry. We're going to put one of them in each hospital. We generally found people that had some of these, these competencies already existing. But what was interesting is it wasn't that tough to find these early adopter physicians that were part of this. For example, myself, Dr. Uh, Matt Pollard, I think uh, you might have heard of him, Intermountain. He's an emergency room physician. He's a, he's a great guy. And, and he had these, uh, he, he was inclined to really love this type of work and improvement. And we put him on the team. And then he eventually, I told Tim Pierce, and I said, I think it's a really good idea for me to have a dyad partner. And guess who my dyad partner was? <laughs> Matt, Matt Pollard. Pollard. Awesome. Okay. And every one of my regions where I had a continuous improvement director, guess who they had as a partner? A physician. And I'm telling you, these guys are amazing. They do great work, but it's so much more successful having them socialize and communicate these, these improvement methodologies to physicians than it ever would be for me. So I think, uh, you know, just a recognition that there's great capability. And I think like yourselves, most organizations have quite a few physicians that when they're introduced to these things will automatically gravitate to them. So give them a platform, give them an opportunity. And then as they engage, recognize them for doing that. Yeah. It's very helpful uh, to do that. Dr. Pollard was, you know, one of our first guests on here. I think he was on uh, our podcast last January. Uh, it was a great episode. Um, you know, so you know, we're running a little bit out of time. I guess it, it's been 30 minutes, and we try to keep our episodes right around there. But I, you know, we really appreciate you you coming on the program. Um, you know, any any further words of encouragement? Any anything else that you would like to kind of relay to the medical staff or, or our listeners? You know, I mean, just maybe the last thing is when I, when I joined healthcare, I'd never joined an organization that had so much education and had so much training and, you know, everybody involved there, uh, you know, has just, just the experience base is amazing. So it just makes it doubly important that we're focused on how do we capture that creativity, intellect, and capability to improve such an important aspect of our whole communities and society of healthcare. So I, I applaud you guys for, for uh, helping lead the charge for your healthcare system. And I think it's a noble thing to do uh, to be engaged in this work in healthcare. Thanks a lot, Brian. And uh, thank everybody for, for listening to Connecting the Dots. Remember, if you go to the link in the show notes, you can redeem this you can redeem this episode for CME credit. Thank you.